Hey everyone, welcome to uh, season two of uh, Wizards Weekly Musings. It has been a while uh, since I've done a podcast, so sorry about the delay. Thank you to everyone for all the support always on my Instagram. It truly means a lot. I'll make sure if you aren't following my me on Instagram to go and follow me at Wizard of Soho. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, please hit uh, five stars and leave a review. If it helps, um, you know, it definitely helps the podcast ratings and brings more exposure to our community of, you know, we the No Trust Fund gang. Uh, I want to give a, also a quick shout out uh, to the Alphaholics Anonymous. If you want to know more about Alphaholics Anonymous, go to alphaholicsanonymous.com or send me a DM on Instagram to be part of the community. It is currently a year and a half uh, wait list, but I do make exceptions if you want to join. It's a lot of fun. Hope everyone is holding in strong during the pandemic. Uh, I'm going to go through a few topics in this podcast. Uh, the first, you know, will be about what's going on in the U- in USA with uh, the riots over George Floyd, and then we'll get into the U.S.-China relations and how I think, uh, you know, it might play out over the next few months, and then kind of, you know, give my uh, kind of views over it. I think that's going to be the main part of. Um, this podcast uh the good thing is there's going to be another podcast coming really quickly and that's going to be talking about uh mainly coronavirus and how the opening is going on across the world and my views on it and kind of also talk about a little bit about you know mental health and mindfulness and how we can try and find happiness within in this stressful world Uh, so there's going to be some really cool podcasts coming up uh, and i'm going to put them out very quick i think i might put them out um you know, uh, over the next two weeks, I might put out two or three podcasts. It's a lot that's been going on, and I want to kind of catch up on it. So to start, you know, let's talk about what's going on in America. Uh, many of you who are on my Instagram, uh, follow me on Instagram, saw that my car was vandalized by people that are using the peaceful protest to kind of spread violence. I woke up with several parts of the car destroyed. Uh, it's an Audi Q7, so it's kind of a nice car. Um, it's definitely, you know, one of my prized possessions. Um but yeah, a lot of the parts were destroyed, glass shattered. It's quite unfortunate because I was, uh, you know, I'm actually very pro peaceful protest. Uh, I think everybody has a right to protest, and you know, uh, I respect that right to protest. Whether I agree with them or not is a whole different thing. But I agree with people's right to protest, peaceful protest. You know, what's funny is I was out there supporting the people um, who are peacefully protesting as well, and there have been a lot of people who have been, you know, support showing their support. There's been sheriffs, there have been police, and several uh, places across America that have actually been uh, supporting the protest you know well, it's definitely funny because uh, you know obviously it makes sense I was out there you know no good deed goes unpunished um, but yeah you know this very very deep uh, uh, there's a lot of philosophical thoughts that you can uh, bring about uh, across for these protests now people have a right to protest and we cannot take that away our founding America's founding fathers fought for the right to protest uh, you know, they protested against the British. Uh, there was violent protests. There was non-violent protests. Again, I don't support any violent protests, but I understand. As someone, you know, who is not white and has dealt with racism his entire life, whether it was in high school, whether it was in college, whether it was families of girls that I was into, you know, romantic relationships, uh, I get it. I get the anger. I get the frustration. Uh, I don't get the riots and the looting, per se. But, you know, those are not the people, you know, just like there are some bad apples who make police department look bad. I mean, there's a lot of, I think there's more good cops than bad cops, obviously. Um, you know, police put themselves in danger every day to try to protect citizens uh, day and night. So I definitely respect that, uh, have a lot of respect for that. But at the same time, there's bad apples everywhere. And, you know, there's, 
there's bad apples in the protesters and that's kind of what's making you know that's what's giving the protesters uh, a bad look uh, you know i went and saw the peaceful protests in Cal- california until it turned violent but there were a lot of people who kind of ran away uh, and they want to be part of the violence it's kind of tough because they're trying to get their voice across and there's a lot of these bad apples that are you know uh, making a mockery of the right to peaceful protest and of what George Floyd's uh, uh, whole cause is supposed to be. You know, there's, there was a lot of uh, people I saw that refrained from looting, uh, stuck to peace and holding up their signs. Just like it's in every part of the world, just like there's bad people everywhere. There's going to be bad people protesting as well and who are using the situation to riot and loot. In addition, you have to realize, you know, the unemployment currently in minorities is at all time highs. I mean, the mental situation of people is at an all time low. People don't have food, don't have jobs. They are not able to feed their families. Everyone kind of hates just everyone. Everyone's been locked down. And people are in a very weak mental state. And it's easy to get triggered into something like this where you start rioting and stealing and, you know, trying to make, get some kind of, uh, you know, goods and resources where you can maybe feed your family or maybe even just get some money to, like, pay for whatever it is that you need, you know. As I said, I'm a follower of, you know, I'm a big follower of Gandhi and I'm a follower of non-violent, non-violent principles. And, but sometimes, you know what? I get it. You just got to knock someone out to feel better or break something to feel better. You know, African-Americans in this country tried to peacefully protest by kneeling but were criticized and made fun of because they were kneeling and they tried other methods you know maybe for them anarchy is their final resort and if you haven't dealt with racism i think it's sometimes tough to understand um you know many people say uh will doing all this will bring will will this bring george floyd back but that's not the point the point is of you know maybe releasing anger and this is what it's come down to you know trust me i i don't agree with it but i get it uh i've gone to houses you know, you know, what's funny is, you know, to give you an idea of racism, like, you know, what I've dealt with, I mean, I've gone to houses of girls that I was dating and met with, you know, they were like white women I was dating. And I've met with their family members. Uh, and they were racist. I mean, I was flat out, I walked into a house and I was told by one of the sisters, don't let the brown guy into the house. Or who let the brown guy into the house? And not as a joke, like serious, like legit racism. And, you know, they were certified racists. I mean, and the only reason the family initially let me into the house was because of my success more so. If I was equally as successful as them, then I most likely would have not been allowed to see their daughters or sisters and whatever. You know, I have to work twi- I've had to work twice as hard as a white person. Than a- I've had to work twice as hard, uh, you know, as a white person, similar to a white person, to get the same level of respect. And I mean, is that fair? It doesn't seem fair to me. You know, that's not even a crazy example. I mean, my high school was mainly white uh, it was basically, you know, white people in the high school and not too much diversity. And I dealt with the racism day and night there. You know, I just came from India and I had to deal with it. And I didn't know, you know, my language, my accent was tough and it, it was very challenging. And, you know, that's, I had to deal with it from day one that I came into this country. I had to deal with it. You know, I was able see me, I was able to channel that anger. You know, I didn't do anything irrational at the time. You know, I was able to channel the anger into growth. But not everybody can do that. You know, everybody's mental state's different. And so some people just need to let the anger out. And, you know, it's imagine having the fear, you know, imagine uh, having this fear that you could be walking on the street and at any point you could just get shot down for the color of your skin. 
it is a scary thought. You know, I think we all need to build some empathy and understand that the world is in a weak mental state and some people are just pushed to their limits right now. And again, I don't agree with the riots, but peaceful protesting is our right. But sometimes, for maybe in some people's mind, a little bit of anarchy helps get the point across. I mean, just imagine, you know, if you're in other countries, that people in other countries have done worse for less. I mean, there's been civil war started. Like, I mean, this is nothing compared to the revolutions that have gone around uh, against governments in several other countries recently. So this is not even that bad. You know, maybe that's what's going to happen here. I mean, maybe this is everything hitting at one time. You have uh, uh, a government that not everybody agrees with. You have a president that not everybody agrees with. Now, that's a whole different topic, whether I agree with him or not, but I'm just saying this is where the country is very divided. The world is divided in general. There's a lot of populism that's risen, but it's not being accepted by everyone. So you're going to have situations like this that's going to happen. And then you have the pandemic, and it's tough. People are losing jobs, and people are not making as much money, and some people are making money, and there's been a big, uh, uh, you know, the distribution of uh, wealth in the world has been very skewed, so that doesn't help either. And a lot of research shows that, you know, when you have a big skew in distribution of wealth uh, uh, or difference in wealth, you know, the rich control a lot of the wealth. And that kind of, you know, leads to a lot of, uh, especially if it's coupled with a lot of high unemployment and with low education, then you end up with situation. Uh, where you have these kind of revolutions start. I mean, it's happened time and time again in history. You can go as far back as you want and see. Um, so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. But you know, let's uh, let's kind of uh, change things up a little bit. Let's kind of uh, let's move on to some fun stuff that you guys are all here for. Let's talk about our ever-changing, beautiful financial markets. So there is so much we could talk about right now regarding the financial markets. But you know what? On this podcast. Because it's a hot topic right now, I'm going to kind of focus on the U.S.-China relations. As many of you know, that's kind of my expertise. So let's kind of talk about that a little bit. You know, um, so honestly, without getting to his, let's dive right in into one of the hot topics, uh, U.S.-China escalation. Now, I did a long U.S.-China trade war, uh, trade war podcast and written a couple articles on my website about it as well. Uh, you guys can go to my website and subscribe. There's a lot of articles there. Everything for how to get into sales and trading to a lot of views on the markets. You know, I did a long pod- podcast, so you can look up the podcast, and I think it's become very relevant again. The recent you know, re-escalation of U.S.-China trade tensions has honestly sparked worries of a breakdown in the phase one trade deal and faster decoupling of uh, you know, the two biggest economies. So what's been going on? Uh, let's focus on the markets part rather than the pandemic that started in China. Uh, two weeks ago, the U.S.-China, sorry, the, two weeks ago, the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, tightened its grip on the semiconductors supply to Huawei. Uh, I think it was around May 15th, uh, a year after you know putting Huawei and its affiliates on the entity list. That's basically a list that requires companies wishing to export U.S. items to Huawei to obtain a license, so basically making it tough. The new rules require any foreign chipmaker uh, that uses U.S. tech to get a license before they can sell to any companies on the list. Uh, China did not announce any retali- like real retaliation. They've just, you know, official restraint, official response has been quite restrained to it. China's Ministry of Commerce said it would urge U.S. to seize its wrongdoings and use all means to protect legal rights of Chinese companies, obviously. Um, 
On the other hand, the state-run uh, uh, newspaper Global Times suggested uh, this wearable threat would be just the first step and second would be to put U.S. companies like Qualcomm, Cisco, and Apple on China's own entity list, a similar kind of list, and stop uh, Boeing aircraft purchases. The response uh, is quite in contrast to what happened at the beginning of the trade war uh, in 2018, which included tariff hikes immediately uh, after what U.S. announced. Uh, China announced their own. Uh, they also did a bunch of tech bans last time around. Uh, the same day that U.S. announced measures to restrict ZTE, uh, China introduced anti-dumping measures, uh, and they focused on uh, U.S. states, Republican states, if you guys remember. So what else is going on that affects U.S.-China relations right now? Uh, the National People's Congress in China voted to approve a proposal to establish a, a national security law for Hong Kong. The next step uh, for the NPC Standing Committee is to legislate the national security law and basically promulgate into, into Hong Kong's special administrative region. U.S. basically has said that Hong Kong does not, as you know, they recently announced that because of these uh, policies by China uh, to kind of take over Hong Kong, that Hong Kong does not maintain a high degree of autonomy anymore from China and could set a stage for a risk of sanctions and revocation uh, provision, especially in the U.S.-Hong Kong Policy Act of 1992. Now, China is clearly trying to control its uh, hold on Hong Kong and also has set a bunch of rhetoric against Taiwan to show its strength uh, post, you know, post or during pandemic that originated there. But they're also trying to show strength as we kind of figure out where the you know where the world's trying to figure out where where did the virus come from you know and how the world will react uh, once this is all over against China and if China needs to pay any reparations. I mean, if this came from China, like uh, from a lab, and you know maybe it did, maybe it didn't. You know, we'll see what kind of investigation is done and what the results come out to be. Yeah, you China should pay for it. I mean, a lot of people have died. Uh, a lot of economies have died. I mean, there's a first-degree deaths from just the virus, but there's second-degree deaths, suicide from worsening mental health, uh, people losing their jobs. I mean, it's been just tough, right? Uh, we're all going through all kinds of stuff, but China should have to pay for that if they're the ones that came up with the virus and it got released accidentally. You know, China, so, so where are we? Where are we? Is this the calm before the storm right now? I mean, China's Recent mild response reminds me of the period of in the second half of 2019 when China did little to respond to media reports or comments from Trump suggesting there would be no deal. For example, China remained silent in November uh, 2019, was it? Uh, when President Trump threatened twice in a week to raise tariffs even higher if a deal did not go through. Um, even in December when the deal was met with, you know, when the deal... When the initial deal happened, you know, it was met with very vague comments out of China. So let's kind of not forget that. So why is China so calm? You know, in my view, it does not make sense for them to sit back uh, uh, and believe that the trade where the trade or tech war can get only worse. And one, what are the different scenarios, right? So one possible scenario is that there is a bilateral relationship going on behind the scenes. You, know, you can't really rule that out, despite the rhetoric both sides want, despite the rhetoric, both sides do want a phase one deal to work and move on to phase two. It helps both countries out and it helps the world out. After all, you know, a strong rhetoric does help and is good politics, but actual escalation of war will result in massive shocks through the economy for everyone. And the market would be, harm I mean, and that would be harmful politically, especially in post-pandemic in the election year. 
for America especially. Um, obviously, China doesn't have to worry about elections. But so nobody wants something uh, actual trade war escalation. But uh, escalation rhetoric helps. But you know that we have to be cognizant of that. The alternative possibility is that China may be waiting for the right opportunity to to retaliate. If phase one deal is likely to fail anyway, China would know it and it will know that it'll trigger another set of, um, you know, uh, U.S. retaliation, then it might as well just wait. Wait till it becomes clear instead of getting into a fight right away. China has the power and incentive to wait until months leading up to the election to start to fight up again. It's very clear that China is going to be a focal point of the next election. Everything from the coronavirus uh, that emerged from China to the manipulation of the people who died to WHO to the trade war possibility. Trump needs a bad man for this election and China is the easy one. uh, So let's get a little bit into the phase one deal. Like, you know, let's get a little bit into it. Uh, It is currently in critical condition, but it's not dead. It's still breathing a little bit. So let's kind of see... Let's do a careful examination of what the detailed term shows on the trade deal and, you know, what, what could happen. So let's see what some of the commitments were and what's China's progress been. So um, ch- one of the big things is imports. So China, you know, allow uh, – the, one of the things was China needs to allow pork imports under predetermined conditions – and China has, uh, you know, actually fulfilled that promise. Pork imports uh, from the U.S. surged to 1,562% year over year in the first quarter of um, 2020. Uh, what, what else do we have? So China uh, was supposed to execute expeditious enforcement of judgment in uh, intellectual property cases. And the Supreme Court issued a draft guidelines on IP judgment. So they're doing a pretty good job with all the IP-related uh, rules. Uh, China needs to start... Um, Importing uh, U.S. beef uh, under predetermined conditions, and China made progress. They removed all the restrictions. Uh, I think it was in February they got rid of all the restrictions to be able to import U.S. beef. Uh, there was China had to eliminate foreign equity cap for security companies and insurance uh, services and so on. And they did. They removed uh, foreign equity cap for security firms, asset managers. I think it was in April uh, for life insurance firms earlier in the year. So they did uh, do what they said they would. Part of the first trade deal over there. Uh, they were supposed to uh, allow give licenses to U.S. credit uh, rating companies. So Fitch got the approval to do onshore business uh, in May, early May. China uh, was supposed to uh, allow branches of U.S. financial institutions to provide securities uh, investment services, so banks and so on, were uh, to be allowed, and they did uh, early in May. They published a bunch of draft amendments to allow foreign banks and institutions to be able to provide services. And last but not the least, one of the big ones was supposed to be expand. China was supposed to expand imports from U.S. overall imports. Uh, I think it was to some 250, 260 billion from uh, 76 billion, which was in 2017. So the the biggest this is and they haven't obviously right the imports uh, that's the the critical part and you know there is a widening gap there has been a widening gap between uh, the Chinese imports from yes from U.S. Uh, year to date where it's supposed to be uh, which is not like the, most likely that's not gonna that's not gonna uh, tighten up anytime soon it will be a great challenge to china to fulfill its committed purchases obviously especially in 2020 uh, you know the reasoning is that 
China would not, you know, most likely would not meet its target. But the idea was that, you know, Trump would just let that slide because you don't want to kind of renew this trade war again. Because uh, they have been trying to do a good job in fulfilling all the requirements. Uh, the global pandemic and deep recession that's following, following and followed, you know, makes this import basically impossible to fill because, you know, I mean, we, let's look at the numbers, right? Uh, so far this year, I, I mentioned a couple of things, but uh, China's imports have fallen from U.S. Uh, from January to April, uh, I think it's around 5.6% year over year. Now, this is a big contrast uh, given the plunge in 2019 that was around 21%. So rest of the uh, you know, it is evident that China has boosted its imports of U.S. meat, pork, like I just mentioned 15 times. Uh, they increased it by 15 times, the imports. And it's also increased uh, soybeans and corn. Uh, you know, however, U.S. administration and White House will argue that China did not make enough effort to import from U.S. Uh, as it only fared on par with Chinese imports with the rest of the world. So they could have done a better job, and that's what the U.S. will say. You know, it's it's tough. I mean, US, you know, with lower oil prices, tepid demand. I mean, China's going through the same issues we all are. They don't have the demand to import more. So, like, what are they going to do? They're going through a lot of issues, too. So that's one of the reasons they're not going to fulfill this. Now, China has a, lo- a strong incentive to come closer on targets for agricultural goods. You know, we see. I, I see uh, two reasons. First, you know, agricultural goods and commodities, you know, they tend to converge in prices between uh, different regions. China should be able to shift the U.S. products without, you know, being able to pay a big premium. Second, you know, if you recall in the early stages of the trade war, you know, China specifically char- targeted agricultural goods. They targeted goods in uh, uh, support of President Trump by increasing imports from the states that helped Trump, like uh, Republican states, uh, increasing dependence on U.S. farmers. Uh, so... What happens with that, though, is because China increased uh, farmers uh, where that usually vote for Trump, now they have a bigger uh, talking point and bigger leverage against Trump, too, we got to remember, because all those farmers are now dependent on the Chinese uh, for revenue. So if Trump escalates the trade war a lot, his own constituents are going to be hurt by that. So we need to be even more so than last time. So we need to be very cognizant of that. Yeah, but at the end of the day, there's more, you know, there's, you know, will the trade war leave sooner or later? I mean, honestly, there's more questions than answers at the moment. I mean, first escalation of trade war and tech war was kind of, you know, inevitable. Um, but will this be much worse than in reality? You know, obviously, there's an, there's an expectation there'll be an escalation. But, you know, we're not completely confident about when and how, how severe. Could the trade war escalate even before the escalation? Certainly, the conflict seems to be escalating fast. Moreover, you know, while the Trump administration wants a strong market and economy going into the election, China may have an incentive to wait as U.S. piles on the new measures, then retaliates in the fall. In everyone's base case, you know, regardless of everything, I expect a higher noise on trade conflicts between U.S. and China to persist before U.S. election. I think further escalation that features additional tariff and actual tariffs and bans will most likely happen after the election. But there'll be a lot of increase. And also got to remember, why would Trump want to increase uh, or escalate trade war? That's only going to hurt the economy more. So it's possible he'll wait and just have rhetoric right now, but actually not put any tariffs 
until the uh, U.S. economy slowly rises post-pandemic shock. Once the U.S. economy is on a further, firmer footing towards the end of this year, I expect a rhetoric uh, and see some form of uh, trade war decoupling that could start. So, you know, that's that's definitely something that we need to think about. You know, now everybody thinks about this. Uh, everyone's focused on the V-shaped recovery out of the pandemic with this, uh, you know, new... There's this new emerging volatility that's coming out that, you know, we're kind of not, you know, thinking about properly. Um, you know, we're kind of thinking about what's going on right now. So we're kind of not thinking about this massive new trade war related volatility that be, could be coming in the second half of this year, especially around um, especially around uh, the second half of this year. Uh right when we expect this V-shaped recovery to kind of take off. And, you know, the Fed is clearly watching this. Uh, you know, we get into the Fed and so on, but the Fed is clearly watching all of this. And why would they be incentivized to raise rates anytime soon? If anything, they might crank up QE again in anticipation or create new programs to help protect the economy, given that it could get worse uh, in the post-pandemic world. You know, there's all kinds of other things. I mean, Look at the market. I mean, you know, yeah, the market uh, has, you know, come up with 35% rebound in the S&P uh, from the bear market lows. Uh, you know, it is what's been the driver of this uh, of this uh, uh, current economy, right? Like the uh, post-March. So March, obviously, we went down a lot and then we've come up in the last few weeks. You know, what's been the driver of uh, all this, uh, of the last few uh, weeks, uh, this massive rise in risk? Premium, this massive rise in stocks. Where has this been coming from? You know, obviously one of them, one of the main reasons stocks are up so much is uh, a series of critical monetary policy initiatives by the Fed, massive fiscal stimulus. You know, that's part two by the Congress. You know, a bending of the viral curve in the U.S. Obviously, uh, a narrow group of large cap stocks that have lifted a cap weighted index, uh, and this is something not everybody thinks about. The S&P is so driven by the FANG stocks and very few number of companies that are not a depiction of where the market should really be. And, you know, I'll get a little bit more into that. You know, these are going to be topics, you know, I kind of want to keep this one a little bit short, but these are going to be, so what's going on with the market in depth, I'm going to kind of talk about in my next podcast. Uh, And the Fed, I'm going to be talking about the next podcast. And I kind of don't want to, I want to keep this one a little bit short so that I do more podcasts and don't kind of, you know, fill it all into this, but a little bit about the stock market. I'll tell. I'll just give you my views and what's going on and why I think we are where we are. But I'm gonna go into very, very depth about what the Fed did and what the Fed is doing, and you know the dichotomy in the market with where the asset valuations are and where asset prices should be. Uh, but let's kind of talk about why the markets are kind of where they are at this moment in time. And I just mentioned, you know, monetary policy, fiscal stimulus, uh, the bending of the viral curve. Uh, the fact that the stocks are kind of driven by certain large cap stocks, uh, optimism uh, obviously about the restart of, of the economy. You know, uh, that, let's let's talk about what are the risks now. When you're at the stock market right now, what what is the risk? The risk to the current markets and the current forecast people have. Medical developments could go in either direction. You know, with a successful uh, um, what do you call it, antiviral uh, vaccine. Um, that could kind of, you know, hinder any upside catalyst of a second wave of inf- infections and could result in m- more downside. Uh, 
the rehiring process by corporations. There's a lot of elevated corporate leverage. Uh, adoption of you know sort of a zero-based budgeting protocols could result in restraint in the you know economic recovery. The, obviously, what I just mentioned, one of the biggest reasons that could be uh, a reason for the market to go back down or have a W-shaped recovery or have an L-shaped recovery or whatever you want to call it could be the trade disruption between U.S. and China, given the heated rhetoric from politicians in each country. And last but not least, the November 2020 election. Uh, you know, prediction markets currently assign a 78% probability that the Democrats control the House, a 51% probability of them occupying the White House, and a 48% probability of controlling the Senate. So that's going to weigh heavily on the markets uh, going into Q- in, in, you know, second half of uh, 2020 and kind of dictate what may happen or what might not. And, you know, it's been a, rec- a remarkable time. I mean, in February 2020, S&P closed at 3386, an all-time high. And three months later, the index stands, you know, 11% lower uh, at 30, I think, forget where it was last, but around 11% lower. But it's still negative 6% year to date. But point-to-point changes, you know, don't really obviously capture the medical events and the extraordinary economic disruption and the widespread social upheaval and the People don't realize what the tumultuous path of financial assets that have happened and w- could happen given the absolute levels of where the stocks are. I mean, you'd think nothing really happened. You know, more than 100,000 Americans have died just from COVID that we know. I mean, who knows how many more died that we don't even have a good uh, grasp on. So, I mean, this is, you know, U.S. unemployment has surged to 50-year lows. I mean, the highest level since the Great Depression. More than 40 million people have filed for U- filed for initial unemployment since February. And that'll probably just keep spiking. So, there's this big dichotomy, but I kind of don't want to get into that right now. You know, I kind of want to stick to uh, focusing that you guys kind of think about a little bit more about the U.S.-China uh, rhetoric. Kind of think about what's going on in the world with all... All this uh, uh, riots and uh, protests and, you know, kind of keep it a little bit simple this time around and, you know, make you guys think about what could be the different things that can bring the market down, you know, brainstorm. You know, I obviously mentioned a whole bunch of things that caused the market to rally and a whole bunch of things that could bring the market back down. And one of the topics that could bring the market back down, I've kind of gone over it in detail today, which is the U.S.-China rhetoric uh, into Q- into second half of 2020. And, you know, ponder on that. Think about it a little bit. You know, you guys saw my views. I think it's going to be a very, very important thing, and we could have a lot more escalation than what the market's pricing in. And we need to kind of think about that in a deeper sense. You know, will we see the war of attrition come back? Will we see the market go through kind of 2018, 2019 again? And it's very possible. The only problem now is we also have a pandemic that we didn't have in 2018, 2019. So we have to deal with that. We are also dealing with uh, people, uh, uh, a social upheaval. We could see a potential revolution. How would that affect the market? I mean, how well, what would what the Fed can do then? What can the Fed do? Uh, what can what kind of fiscal stimulus do we see if we have wide scale riots going on for the next few months or weeks? Uh, with everybody locked down, people are not getting their stimulus checks. Maybe there's no more monetary policy coming. Maybe there's a second wave of virus that hits, hits, especially with people out and about protesting and being around each other. I mean, these are the fact that you're not supposed to have any uh, football games or any events 
these are events. These are thousands of people that are next to each other, many not wearing masks, that could all potentially get infected, and you could have a massive second wave. So these are things that are not getting priced into the market, and we need to be cognizant of that when we make uh, uh, buy and sell as investors. As are we looking at you know the small minutia, or and do stocks need to be what they are? You know, what is a stock? Is the expected uh, you know value of future cash flows and are those cash flows really going to come? I mean, that's kind of things we talk about. And I'm going to get really deep into that, you know, why we are where we are in the asset valuation and the stock market in a much deeper sense. And is stock prices fair right now? And, you know, you can kind of think about Schrodinger's uh, uncertainty, you know, is the stock market should be where it is or is it not? At the end of the day, what you have to think about is uncertainty. And basically what I'm trying to tell you guys is there's a lot of uncertainty still out there and the stock market and any risk premium is not really portraying that uncertainty. And that's what I kind of want you guys to think about is think about this uncertainty and what other uncertainty is out there. Obviously, there's uncertainty with the second wave. There's uncertainty with will the reopening really work? Uncertainty with data that's coming out with the reopening. Uh, uncertainty with the U.S.-China trade war. US, uh, uncertainty with these riots and protests. And should we really be only 6% down year to date uh, from the highs given so much uncertainty? That's a question for you guys to figure out and think about and for me to kind of give uh, the knowledge and give the, the questions for you guys to intrigue your minds. So that's kind of where I'm going to leave it off for today. And uh, I promise I will put out another podcast getting a little bit deeper into a couple of other points that uh, based on where stock markets could be. And also kind of talk a little bit more about mindfulness and, you know, us as investors and traders, we need to be kind of very mindful of not letting PNL and uh, all kinds of things that happens in our life, whether it's relationships, whether it's family members, whether it's death in the family, all kinds of things, you know, can, that can, or where the world is. We need to kind of control our emotions and find the happiness within, F- figure out the mindfulness, not be dependent on people for, uh, you know, finding that inner peace, uh, doing meditation. You know, I do a lot of meditation every day. Uh, and I stopped for the last few months. And that kind of weighed on me, and I started it up again. I start, I meditate 30 minutes now every day and try and find that inner peace, that inner uh, happiness. And I think we all need to kind of work on that. And I'll talk a lot more into depth uh, about those things and how as investors uh, we go through a lot of cognitive distortions ourselves and how to work on those cognitive distortions to become better investors, become better traders, and how that will result in positive PNL and even if it doesn't possibly you know, result in better um, you know, mind, mental health. So I'll get into all of that. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. And uh, I promise, I promise I will be doing a lot more podcasts uh, over the next few weeks. Next one will be coming out next week, uh, next Sunday. So I promise you guys that. Make sure you guys follow me on Instagram. Uh, DM me your thoughts on um, the podcast. Please put your, uh, uh, if you like this podcast, put five, uh, you know, if you can give me a five-star rating, that'd be great. Uh, if a great review, that would be great as well. Thank you again, and um, everybody have a great, great day, great week, great month. Uh, I'm always here for you guys. Uh, send me a message on DM, and happy investing. <laughs>